Ephesians chapter 6. I just rolled in from Sun River this morning. Uh, I went over Thursday night and taught uh, the Oregon State and Southern Oregon University uh, college retreat uh, for uh, Calvary Chapel Corvallis. And uh, the Lord led me to teach the Gospel Family Series uh, to all of these college students who, in the matter of a year or two or five, are going to be having their own families. And, uh, you know, many of us that are learning these things, uh, you know, looking at family in light of the gospel, um, we wish that we would have learned these things a long time ago. And so it was amazing because, you know, when we're dealing with uh, matters such as submission and humility and uh, self-sacrificial leadership, um, you know, these are things that are major rubs against millennials right now. And so it was quite amazing to, you know, I remember that first night and even using the word submission and you just feel that, you know, the resistance in the room. And then as you look at what biblical submission is and what biblical headship is, uh, just the Lord was working and, and uh, cabin times at night with just neat discussions um, to the point where last night, uh, just the Holy Spirit moved in such a powerful way that almost everybody in the room, 150 college students were up front crying out for more of the Holy Spirit in their lives, preparing them. And we kind of just, the Lord led each kind of group to pray out uh, just for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Uh, and, and we had one moment where just any gals that just wanted to pray out that they would just be overflowing with the Spirit to be able to walk in submission to their husbands and, uh, and, hus- and future husbands praying out that they would be able to be self-sacrificial leaders. Uh, it was just incredible. And then we also did a study for the singles and what the Lord has for singles who at this time in their life can focus and serve the Lord with single-mindedness and go to the world and reach the unreached people. And a great number of them came forward uh, for prayer to, to be sent out as missionaries and just a powerful time. So uh, this is my sixth teaching of the weekend. And... Um, Hopefully I've got something to give you guys. I don't know, but uh, no, I certainly do. I had an Egg McMuffin this morning, so I'm (laughs) feeling really great. But uh, Lord, we just lift up this morning and thank you for your faithfulness that in the last 17 weeks, we have been challenged with with biblical principles that are counterculture, that are against our worldview that we've learned from universities and professors that just are in direct opposition to you. And we at Calvary Chapel would say, Lord, your word is our authority. Whatever you say goes, and we will bow the knee and bow our hearts to your principles and your precepts and your created design and order. We thank you for the work you've done in our wives, in our churches. They've learned of Biblical submission is a voluntary yielding of themselves to love. And for the husbands who are learning and walking in that uh, radical, spare nothing unto death type of love for their wives. And now, Lord, as we have shifted gears and we are learning as parents and and especially as fathers how to uh, raise up disciples in our home, how to set the temperature in our home, the climate of love and spiritual disciplines. Lord, we just pray that you would move in our midst, uh, change the men, change the fathers, change the parents in our church 
so that we can then go out and change the world for you in this dark day. We just uh, thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in, in our church through this family series. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I heard this story this week, made me chuckle. A guy wrote, I overheard my nine-year-old son on the phone with a friend discussing a computer simulation game. The game involved creating a family and a house for them to live in and so on. My son, who's an old hand at the game, gave this warning to his friend. Whatever you do, don't get kids. They don't bring in any money, and all they do is eat. <laughs> Although my oldest is only nearly 11, and, and all mine are young, I'm finding that that is already the case. Not much money coming in, a whole lot going out, and my refrigerator is uh, empty. But that's actually my fault. I can't blame that on anybody else. You know, last week we looked at that, that, that Paul focuses uh, on the fathers here, and in Ephesians chapter 6, this, this can be also for uh, the mothers and single moms and, you know, to the parents. But there is something about the language that just shows a specif- specificity. I might have just made that up. I don't know. <laughs> I don't learn good. I don't know. But, uh, but there's something for the dads in the exhortation here. And, of course, there's application for moms as well as we read that uh, in verse 4, Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know, we took last week as kind of an introduction to this, that, you know, fathers, it's on you as the heads of the home, modeling headship in a self-denial It's on you to set the climate for love, for joy, for humility, for passion for Christ, for uh, missionary movement. It's on you to set the tone in your home. And we asked some pretty drilling questions this last week uh, to to the dads. And so I encourage you to get online and listen to that teaching if you missed it. But we're going to move on in this text, and we're going to see uh, some negative things, some things that we're to avoid as dads, as parents, uh, and things that we're to pursue as parents. Uh, Richard Mather was an old Puritan. One day he imagined children on Judgment Day addressing their parents who had neglected their training. And he wrote, All this that we here suffer is through you. You should have taught us the things that uh, of God, and you did not. You should have restrained us from sin and corrected us, but did not. You were the means of our original corruption and guiltiness, and yet you never showed any competent care that we might be delivered from it. Woe unto us that we had such carnal and careless parents. And woe unto you that you had no more compassion and pity to prevent the everlasting misery of your own children. Man, that's hot. 
That's hot. Last week we asked the question, when you were bearing children, creating a prodigy, did you ever consider the implications, the eternal implications of bringing children into this world? That those little babies that were going to be brought forth have souls with eternities. And your children will either spend eternity in heaven, in paradise, in the presence of the Lord, worshiping Him, enjoying Him forever, or your little babies will spend eternity in hell. There's one out of two options there. Did you ever consider how serious it was to bring forth children? And I think this this Richard Mather hit the nail on the head. When children would cry out, my sinful nature came through you, Dad. And what are you doing to point me to the only means of salvation? Are you doing anything? Or is it haphazard? Is it, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that? The only means of salvation in Christ Jesus and knowing Him and being a follower of Christ. Dads, what are you doing to redeem the fallen condition that you have passed on to your children. We're going to be told here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, what we can do. But first of all, here's what not to do. Here's something that's not helpful in that. And it is, do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not provoke We looked at last week how, you know, it seems that there's this pressing towards fathers here because we are more prone towards this provocation as dads. We're more prone towards that. And most of the time, moms are a little more on the pampering side and dads are a little more on this provoking side. We all have kind of a bent towards error and fathers, this oftentimes is our bent, a provoking of our children to wrath. In the archaic, the definition is to arouse a feeling or an action. It's a dad who is inciting anger in his kids. To provoke them, not only to laughter, which is possible, but in this case, to provoke to wrath. And the language speaks of a a purposeful stirring up, a pushing of the buttons, In the way that one would provoke a fight. In the Greek it can be translated, irritate not. Irritate not your children. By perpetual fault finding in them. By unreasonable demands. Petty rules. Favoritism. Children are discouraged by these things. They're disheartened by these things. Colossians in a parallel chapter, chapter 3 verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And that perpetual fault finding, that poking and prodding and pushing the buttons, 
In one hand, wrath can come from that, just kind of a building up from dad doing that all those years till just finally there's an explosion of wrath and rebellion and a a calling out of dad on his hypocrisy. You say you're a follower of the God, the father of the Bible, and yet your father, your behavior as a father is like this to me. That's hypocrisy. I don't want to have anything to do with the gospel or the church. Wrath. On the other hand, as Colossians says, discouragement. Just discouraged by dad. The Phillips translation translates that Colossians passage. Fathers, do not overcorrect your children. Or they will grow up feeling inferior inferior and frustrated this is just something that that you know my wife is helping me with my blind spots in life and just kind of a you know just honey just man you just overcorrecting. just there's no grace with you know especially just the older ones that you know you just kind of expect more from after all when i was your age i was doing everything perfect you know and just kind of a Oh, stop, no, don't, oh, wait, no, no. You know, just like, man, I can't breathe here. Don't overcorrect your children or they will grow up feeling inferior. Oh, sorry, Dad, I guess I'm just not as perfect as you are. Feeling frustrated. Bengal writes years ago that a broken down spirit is fatal to youth. The New International Version translates this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I don't know if I have the right mind of what exasperate is, but when I think of exasperate, I just kind of think of like, like falling back on the couch, just kind of, you know, that might not be, Janelle, is that, uh, <laughs> hey, got a teacher telling me I'm good in my defining thing, so that's good. You know, just kind of a, oh, I just can't do anything right. I just don't even know what to do here. One translation by Alfred is, irritate not by vexatious commands, unreasonable blame, and uncertain temper. Being annoying and irritating, and distressing, embittering them. To in the end, they're just totally discouraged. Matthew Henry said, Though God has given you power, dads, you must not abuse that power. Remembering that your children are, in a particular matter, pieces of yourselves, and therefore ought to be governed with great tenderness and love. Be not impatient with them. Use no unreasonable severities and lay no rigid injunctions upon them. When you caution them, when you counsel them, when you reprove them, do it in such a manner as not to provoke them to wrath. In all such cases, deal prudently and wisely with them, endeavoring to convince their judgments and to work upon their reason. Now, I don't imagine that there's many of us who set out the day with the express and sole purpose of exasperating and annoying our children. And yet, 
That can often be our unwitting action. Without trying, we've established a pattern in our home that is just exasperating our children. But just as with any behavior in the gospel, our patterns can be changed. After we've recognized them as wrong from reading the scripture, we look into the perfect mirror of the word of God, we see our faults, we see our sin, we confess our sin to the Lord. Lord, I see what you're seeing in me here. I confess it. I acknowledge it to be, this is, this is me. I'm seeing myself in the mirror. And now I repent of this. I move toward correction by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God, I begin to work these things out systematically as to be transformed. And so what does it take to exasperate our children as the Lord shows us ourselves in the mirror? What does it take to make them angry and rebel openly or smolder internally? We need to note well that when we're doing the things that we're supposed to do, sometimes our children are exasperated. Sometimes our children, with their sinful nature, we're going to be doing the right things. Get up, kids. Get ready. We're going to church this morning. We're going to go serve the Lord today. Today's about the Lord. Let's go. Oh, this morning, kids, open up your Bible. Come on. You know, you, you're going to read the first 10 verses, Russell. You're going to read the next 10 verses, Laney. Titus, you don't know how to read. Barely talking here, you know. But Tatum, you can take the last 10 verses. No, she's the little one. You know, but, you know, just sometimes it's like, oh, you know, I got to turn off TJ Maxx. You know, I got to turn off this. I gotta, you know, we got to stop playing for a few minutes. We're going to come and seek the Lord. And, oh, you know, there's going to be a rub there because it's against our fallen nature. And so that's not what Paul is talking about. Sometimes as we're living out the gospel, there's going to be, sometimes, all the time, there's going to be a confrontation against the sinful nature of our little ones. And so in all this, we've got to understand that we can't bounce off our discipleship off the reaction of our children. Because they're not always going to be stoked about family prayer and worship and reading time about being part of the community of Christ. There's going to be a time when their rebellion begins to show even more, and we're going to need to press in even more in prayer and even more in, in intentional discipleship. We lay down the biblical principles to our children, even when sometimes there's a noisy response in return. But what are some of these things that do a disservice to our children? Here are eight things I'm going to give you that exasperate our children. And so dads, take note. We exasperate our children by failing to allow them to be what they are. And that is children. They're children. Man, you know, Russell is a fifth grader and we just, you know, spent time in Sun River and it's so cool. He's doing manly things. He's, he's starting to learn how to shoot guns. You know, he's starting to learn how to build a fire, you know, just things that it's like, yeah, my boy, he can start the lawnmower on his own now. Like that's huge. You know, he mows the lawn, but like he's a man, you know? And then I was thinking about where I was as a fifth grader, as a fifth grader. You know, I was just thinking when I was in fifth grade, my dad had cancer 
And I was separated from my parents for most of the school year. They were in California at Stanford, and, and I was, uh, you know, separated from I, My grades were poor. I would just weep at night, you know, falling asleep, just crying. And then when I was with, with my parents, I just remember my dad laying there in the bed. He, he didn't have his shirt on. You know, he's laying in bed, and he has um, a catheter in right here, and and is, you know, he's just burnt from radiation. And I just remember as a fifth grader just laying my head on my dad's just, uh, you know, bare chest and just cuddling him and just snuggling my dad and just missing my dad and just that, just that little boy still there, you know. And just thinking of, man, when I was in fifth grade, I was this little boy still. And just so how, you know, with my son, I just... He's, he's the older one. I expect more for some reason. And, and, and yet I just fail to allow him to just still be a, a little boy. He's still a boy. When I make irritating and unreasonable demands upon him, I'm, I'm failing to allow him to be a, a little boy. When I fail to take into account his inexperience, not having a lot of grace with him still learning how to do things, taking into account his immaturity. There was a book in 1985 by a school teacher who was a first grade teacher. She used to have a part of her day where she would make fun statements and then give the first part of a proverb, inviting the class to play along and finish out the proverb, come into their own conclusions. And she wrote in her book, she would ask the children, don't cross your bridge before, and one answer was, you pay the troll. (laughs) Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. (laughs) Don't cut off your nose to get away from the smell. He who marries for money better be nice to his wife. You gotta love it. You know, the, the kids say the darndest things, you know. A penny saved is not much. <laughs> Laugh and the world laughs with you. Cry and you have to blow your nose. <laughs> Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. <laughs> You know, and Laney this weekend, I was getting ready to go teach uh, the college students. They're college students, you know. And I was just wearing a O'Neill t-shirt, you know, and jeans, and just going to go teach college kids, you know. And Laney walks into the bathroom where I'm, you know, doing my hair or whatever, and she's just like, "Ah, oh, Dad, you're wearing that, you know. You know, second grader. And I'm just like, yeah, what's wrong with this? It's, it's just like you're not even trying. Just... <laughs> You know, like, I mean, you're going to church, Dad, you know. Like, well, tech, it's a retreat, you know, and just call it, you know. And then I was all self-conscious for, like, the rest of the weekend. And she didn't look too pleased this morning either, I'm telling you. But, but the blossoming of gifts in children and personality in children take place in patient and loving encouragement. Realizing children are children. They have those silly ideas. They say silly things. Sometimes at the most inappropriate times. Can we just make a little pact with each other that when we're with each other and our kids, 
Like, we don't have to just be like, oh, don't say that in front of Kevin. He's going to yell at me about what you just did. You know, never. But, you know, just like, and just know sometimes for me, you know, my son's there and he's excited to be a part of the conversation with the men and he wants to, and sometimes I'm just like, don't say anything that's going to embarrass me and, you know, don't say it at the wrong time and just be perfect, could you? Just go play with the other, I mean, no, don't just go play with the other kids. Man, be a part of things. doesn't mean we don't teach them, you know, it doesn't mean we don't help them in social situations, but... But man, we don't need to walk on eggshells with our kids. We want to love our kids. I'm, I'm really about, you know, as I, am, as I get older. By the way, I turned 36 on Tuesday, so I'm getting up there. Remember when I moved here, Grandma Barb was like, I just love you. You're so young and awesome. I was 27 when I came here. You just, I love you, Rory. You've got some maturing to do, but, but I love you, you know. Like, Grandma Barb, thanks. I've really tried to mature. I don't know if it's happened. Thanks, Nyla. But, you know, that we would just be able to, um, you know, as, as I'm growing and just, I just see the heart of the Lord when he was just like, suffer the little children to come to me. Suffer. I don't know what that's all about. Suffer them to come to me. Sometimes we're just a little too intense about, you know, perfect environments. And I think just the Lord, there's just the right balance of suffer the little children to come to me. Man, let's, let's enjoy having the children around so that we can be lights to them and breathe life to them and point them towards Jesus. These children who aren't mature in the faculties of their minds and if we're constantly drumming on them because they say and do silly things, we begin to crush out of them the experience that's uniquely childhood. I don't really remember just being like, be quiet, don't say it like that, not the right time, you know, I just, I remember, of course, I was out on the farm, you know, and I was riding around on a little Shetland pony with like a Red Rider BB gun, (laughs) you know, I could really be the kid, you know, I wasn't locked in all the time. Listen to the way that parents talk to their children. John, you know what the fundamental premise is here? And then the sub-premise is this, and really all they're trying to do is get John to put the toy back on the shelf at the Rite Aid, you know, and it's just like, just put the toy on the shelf and let's go. We exasperate all children, number two, by treating them with harshness and cruelty. Forgetting that these are fragile lives, never pushing our weight around, dads. We're bigger than them, all right? They know that. We know that. Whether physically or mentally, we don't result to battery or use our tongues to crush their spirit. We exasperate them by ridiculing them in front of others, especially in front of their peers. Fourth, by showing favoritism and entertaining unhealthy comparisons. I have four children and not all of them are the same. Some of them have similar attributes and qualities, but none of them are the same. It's a tragedy to show favoritism. Isaac's favorite was Esau, and he brought that climate into the home, which led towards unhealthy relationship and unhealthy practice and deceitful behavior in the younger son Jacob, and even with the mother. 
Of course, Jacob would go on to also show favoritism to Joseph, which would provoke all of the other sons to anger and to wrath. Fifth, we exasperate our children by failure to express approval even in apparently small accomplishment. So easy to do this in the busyness of life. I mean, I just get on one track and I've got to get this done and it's got to be done by this time. And then, you know, they do, you know, they got the little toy that you stick the eyeballs in that stick out like a half an inch and then they wrap fuzz around the toy so that it's flush with the eyeballs. And look, I made a fuzzy toy that the eyeballs are, you know, and you're like, that is amazing, you know, and now be quiet because I'm trying to finish this, you know, it's like, take time to appreciate their creativity and these even small accomplishment, the drawing on the paper plate, the Sunday school project that they just did and they bring it in and, you know, it just gets left on the chair here, you know, for the, the maintenance to pick up here at the church. And instead of taking it home and, whoa, what did you learn about in Sunday? And you did this and, oh, and, and bringing forth discussion towards their following Jesus. Sixth, by being arbitrary in the exercise of discipline so that our children never know where we stand. You know, in one minute, we're just correcting and it's so serious and you're grounded for a month and you're getting a spanking and that's it. I can't believe you did it. And then the next time a similar thing happens, it's like, ah, no big deal. Just being consistent with the righteousness of God and how he views sin, if it's really sin. Not being too severe with our children, but not being arbitrary on the same hand. We exasperate, discourage, provoke our children to wrath by neglecting them and making them feel like an intrusion in our lives. I uh, heard a story of a girl who was at the retreat this week, and she said that when she was four years old, her mom left her for two weeks by herself, in the house, with just a stock of food. Four years old. That's one year older than my Titus. I cannot imagine that. And grandma and grandpa would come in every few days and check on her. That is a tragedy. And some of us aren't much better. You know, we're pawning our kids off on the daycare and the babysitters and You know, just get in the back and be quiet and eat this fast food. And then when we get home, just go in the other room and turn the TV on. I've got my own life to live and you're an intrusion into it. That will provoke our children to wrath. It will not provoke them towards discipleship. By making them achieve their own goals, rather our own goals and not their own goals. Living vicariously through our children, through athletics or career. Putting them in a cocoon so they, know how, they have no idea what's up and down and left and right. Fathers, this is on you primarily. Do not provoke your children to wrath. The positive, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So don't provoke them but do bring them up in training and admonition. Alistair Begg said, the father has a responsibility to cherish his children fondly, to rear them tenderly, 
to sustain them spiritually. He goes on to say this, the things that we make optional for our children, they're bright enough to understand that they are clearly not foundational in what we desire for them. Therefore, it follows that if we continually enforce the development of their mental capacities, vital as it is, or if we continually enforce their progress in the physical dimensions of life, as important as it is, while having an attitude toward their spiritual progress, which is at least ambivalent, if not haphazard, then we ought not to be so naive as to think when the watercolored ponies and their painters leave our nest, they will somehow be sustained by spiritual volumes which we have chosen to make optional for them in the brief time that they were under our care. This goes back to the opening of this message this morning that that our children have two, you know, one of two eternities. What is important here? What are we training them? What are we teaching them? What are we pointing them to? What are we making optional in their life? Are we making spirituality, knowing God, glorifying God, and enjoying Him an optional thing, a give and a take, Not really the most important thing in life. What do you want to do today on Sunday, son? Why don't you pick what we do today? We could go to church or we could go fishing. What do you think he's going to pick? What would I have picked? Church, obviously. But what would... No, I'm kidding. Of course. I mean, I remember on my birthday when I was in the fifth grade... Loading my bike up in our van, not telling anybody, just loading my bike up, going to church, going to Sunday school, and then after Sunday school, <clears throat> getting out my bike, and my mom shows up at the van and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, it's my birthday. I'm going home. <laughs> I thought I'd do Sunday school this morning, and then I'd go home and live for myself this afternoon. You guys can go to the, the main service. And she's like, Put that bike back in the van. (laughs) What are you doing? Now bring your book. You can read it during the service. You know, but nobody else, nobody else has been there. (laughs) What are you making optional for your children? It was interesting. As I read this quote, we actually got a watercolor painting set uh, for Titus's birthday this month. And just this week, we were sitting around the table and we were all watercoloring. You know, it's kind of an interesting art form, you know, And Lainey actually had a watercolor pony that she was painting. And I was thinking of this quote that right now we live in the age with our children. Just this tender, growing age, so impressionable. Right now is the time that we get to have influence in their life. Right now we get to pour out into them the important things of the spiritual nature. Right now. While the watercolor pony is being painted. Then as we move towards playing the game of life, Spongebob style, Titus goes over with a paintbrush with black ink and just... (laughs) So the pony was not beautiful after that. But one day those, those painters, 
They're going to go on to school. They're going to go on to these secular universities where the professors are after them and are doing everything in their power to press a secular humanistic worldview into them. And as a youth pastor, I've seen it enough to see that they are successful a high majority of the time. So you ought not be so naive that when you send off your little watercolor painter off to the university and everything about the Lord you've made ho-hum, that they're going to choose the more satisfying to their flesh. Because that is in their sinful nature. That is their bent towards sin. Dads, make knowing God and making him known the number one priority in your home. Make being a disciple and making disciples the primary thing in your children's life. we're going to have the worship team come on up and we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 and the encouragement from the Shema the next time we get together. We're going to be looking at what the Proverbs and what the New Testament says about this training and this correcting and this admonition to our children. But you know, before we just move on to... teach me how to teach my kids and teach me how to train my kids and teach me how to discipline my kids. We need to say to the Lord, I hear you this morning on this first point. I hear you this morning on this. Don't provoke. I hear you this morning on this. Don't discourage. And Lord, I just pray right now, because I know in just discussing, I've got friends here that we've had plenty of conversations about what parenting is like. Lord, I know that we have this sinful tendency to being harsh towards our children, to being severe, chronically annoying them, That we as fathers, we begin to pursue secondary things and make them primary things. And in that, fall into idolatry. We make our career and our hobbies the most important thing. And when our children try to squeeze in and be a part of our life and receive the the much needed nourishment and tender care that we're to give them. We just brush them off, push them away, cause them to feel like they're an inconvenience to our life. And Lord, with all that comes the making the most important things of loving God and loving people optional. 
secondary, back burner. Teaching our sons and teaching our daughters that football and baseball and hunting and and recreation and a day at the beach and a day at the lake and a day in the woods and a day at cutting grass and a day of home maintenance, all of these things are really more important than, you know, just the, the practices of knowing God. And Lord, we know that in our church and in our culture, there needs to be repentance. We just pray for the Spirit of God to work in us godly sorrow. For the dads that right now have the watercolor painters in their home. For the single moms that are there trying to do it all on their own. For the moms that are there, and this is so applicable to them as well. bringing up their children with that tender care. Lord, we say amen to your word this morning. But Lord, we don't forget chapter 5, verse 18, that before we can do any of these roles as husbands and wives and fathers, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be saved mothers and fathers. And so, Lord, we turn to you today. We appeal to you for strength and for power. We look to you in the gospel for the power and the model. We look to you, God the Father, in what you've done to pour out tender care to us. And Lord, we see our world, we see our culture, we see our nation. We see the state of the church. We know there needs to be change. But there will never be change for the better. Until the fathers, the leaders of the home, begin to train up their children in the way they should go begin to exercise sensitivity and tenderness and intentional leadership in the home. Work that in us, Lord. If you're a father here today and you just know that there are just just behavior and there is a practice in your life of provoking your son or your daughter to wrath, and you just want to just just be set free from just this stressful parenting behavior, just this, this rut that you have been in that is just destroying your home, it's destroying family time, it, the way that you've been towards your children, it's even causing strain on your marriage and your home. And you just want the grace of God poured out on you today. Do you stand where you're at? I want to pray for you. If you're a father here today and, and you're on the, the tail end of parenthood, in fact, maybe you're, you're on the empty nest side of things. Maybe you're even a grandfather here. And you just see how just 
your lifestyle has affected the behavior of your children and that they have been making the spiritual things optional because you made them optional. And they are, they are just severe and harsh towards their kids because you are severe and harsh. Or maybe your children are tender and caring because, Dad, you were harsh and abusive and abrasive and difficult to live with. And they didn't want to be like you. Man, would you stand with these other men in repentance and crying out for grace that you can move forward even in a state of empty nest, even in a state of, of grandfather and just say, you know what, man, I, I need to repent for my life of my fatherhood, of the disciples that I made. I need to repent so that I can now make disciples according to Ephesians chapter 6. And Lord, as these men are standing, we just cry out, Lord, for grace, for mercy upon them. We cry out today for just a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God, that there would just be this continual filling upon them as they position themselves for grace and for mercy. And they just say, Lord, this week was rough. This month has been rough. This year has been rough. My, my children are reaching that age where I just expect more from them. They're middle schoolers now. They're high schoolers now. They, what is this? And Lord, that we would begin to just be so gracious and representing our Heavenly Father. Pour out mercy on the men of our church. Lord, that we could then go from this place and infuse light and life into our community. That our schools would begin to see just the reflection in, in just our kids now going into school, just being, being shown grace and being shown mercy, being shown the gospel. They would then go into their schools showing grace, showing mercy, showing the gospel, speaking life into their friends because they're, me, they're being poured that into in their homes. Lord, our schools, our government, our society is so dark, God. Just infuse light and life into our homes. I just encourage you, even the single moms, will you stand up? Moms that maybe you just feel like, I'm just bearing so much of this load. Would you stand up? We want to pray for you this morning as well. Maybe moms that you're like the spiritual leader in your home. Maybe you would just stand this morning. We just pray over you. Lord, be over these moms here today. Give grace, Lord. Give wisdom. Give tact. Lord, help them to just be able to read their children as they grow. Help them to have discernment on where their kids are at with you and the things that they're allowing into their lives. Give these moms that are standing just the boldness to, to lead and to call the children towards spiritual things and to open and crack open the scriptures and read and pray and worship as a family. Pour grace out upon these moms. <clears throat> Those that are still wounded from 
their upbringing, God. Would you just put a healing salve and a healing balm on their heart that they could finally move forward in healing and in trusting you. We just receive by faith this grace this morning. 